Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are beginning a new section called The Beginning of the Ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our last session, we stopped at the first miracle of the Lord Jesus, and that was at Cana of Galilee. And we're going to go back over and we're going to look at this uh, uh, wonderful event. Uh, we, we already uh, discussed how that uh, this miracle was, bef- was performed uh, by Jesus uh, to, number one, to supply that need that was definitely needed, but also uh, to prove to the disciples that he is the Son of God. And it's only the Son of God that could perform this miracle. Now, uh, the, the, uh, the Apostle John, he lists in his gospel seven miracles. In each one of these miracles is distinctive of the divine Son of God. Amen. So it draws attention to the fact that Jesus is exactly who uh, the Word of God claims that he is. Praise God. So we're going to begin right here with John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But before we start, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we bless you today. We give you praise and honor and glory. You are such a good God. We love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Hallelujah. And Father God, we just come to you now. We ask you, Lord, that uh, as the word of God uh, opens our hearts, that we receive the word of God. Amen. (laughs) Praise with all readiness of mind. And Lord, we just ask you to fill us now with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And we'll give you praise, honor and glory for that in Jesus name. Amen and amen. All right. John chapter two, beginning in verse one. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and then when men have drunk freely uh, that which is poor. You have kept the good wine until now. And then verse 11, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And notice this, And his disciples believed in him. Praise God. So that's why we say that one of the reasons why Jesus did this miracle was to perform it in the presence of his disciples so that they would believe in him. Now, I also said that John records seven miracles that the Lord Jesus did, and these are distinctive now. Uh, Most of them are distinctive in the Gospel of John from the other Gospels. And we're talking about the first one. That's the turning the water into wine in John chapter 4. Uh, Jesus healing the nobleman's son. In John chapter 5, the healing of the man lame at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Also in John chapter 6, Jesus walking on the water. 
in John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind at birth, and of course, John chapter 11, him raising Lazarus from the dead. So all these miracles prove that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be, that he is the divine Son of God, amen, the Messiah, the one prophesied that he would come. Now, let's back up a little bit. Notice that the scripture says, John records, and Jesus said to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Now, there are those that uh, say that this was Jesus rebuking his mother. And I don't think it's so much as a rebuke as it is the acknowledgement that uh, Jesus now, and we'll see this in a little bit, that Jesus um, is his own man now. He's not under the submission of his mother, although he respects his mother. Amen. He's his own man now, and he is already gone. He's already gone through baptism. He's already gone through the temptation in the wilderness. And now he is beginning his ministry, his uh, messianic ministry and his uh, ministry to become the savior of the world. And so uh, just I think he's just reminding Mary, uh, keeping her in her place, because I, I'm telling you, as a mother and Mary knowing about her son, she is eager for him to be manifested to the world. And Jesus just reminds her, my time has not yet come. In other words, there is a time coming that I will be revealed to Israel as their Messiah. Amen. But that time is not now. As a matter of fact, he uses the word woman, which is uh, the Greek word gune. And it's it's used 160, 156 times around that approximately 156 times. We could say round it off. We could say it's used 160 times in the New Testament. He did not use the Greek word mater. And that is the word translated mother. And it's used 60 times in the New Testament. Amen. So and an interesting thing. And I, I have searched I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus calls Mary his mother or says mother. Now, there are others that uh, that state that Mary was the mother of Jesus, but Jesus himself doesn't use that. And I find that is uh, very interesting. As a matter of fact, uh, the scripture that says, what do I have to do with you? The UBS translation translates that as woman. You must not tell me what to do. <laughs> that's just that's just like mothers in it. Praise God. But uh, but I think that the King James is the translation I prefer because uh, Jesus himself is stating that uh, that he is the one to come. Amen. And but his time of revelation as Messiah has not come yet. All right. Now, and uh, this is a, by the way, this is a tremendous miracle. I mean, only God could do a miracle like this. And Jesus did it. Jesus met the need of the wedding. It's not that he did not want to do or perform that miracle. He was already performing. He was already going to uh, reply and answer his mama's request. Amen. But uh, but we see here that he is his own man. Amen. That he is he's not taking suggestions. Uh, he's not uh, taking advice from anybody. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus himself said, whatever I hear the father, that's what I tell you. Amen. And whatever I see the father do, that's what I do. Amen. So the only person that Jesus is under advice to is uh, is God, the father himself. Amen.
All right. So now this next session is uh, this is this is this is a passage that a lot of times that we just skip over. But it's it's worthy of mention. Notice John chapter two. Uh, continue on John's narrative now, verse 12. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Notice that John records that Jesus went down uh, to Capernaum, and he also, he took his mother and his brethren. So that tells me that uh, Joseph, having already passed away, that Jesus being the firstborn now, that he has assumed the headship of the home. And that just reminds me, uh, is Jesus the head of your home? (laughs) Amen. Has he assumed the headship of your home? Praise God. Now, he will. If you if you prefer him, if you refer to him, he will become the head of your home. Praise God. And what a blessed home it will be when Jesus is in the head of it. Praise God. All right, now verse 13, and the Jews' Passover was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, we assume that the that the uh, that Jesus' mother and brethren went with them because uh, the Passover, all Jewish males were required to be at the at Jerusalem during the Passover. So and, and of course, the, the women and the children would have gone too. But notice something that Jesus did here. OK. And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. Now, this is the the, the first Passover that, that John records. And when he had made a scourge, a scourge rather, of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers money and overthrew the tables. Now, this is very interesting. Notice and continue on the narrative, verse 16, and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence. In other words, get these things out of here and do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, this is very important. What sign do you show unto us? seeing that you can do these things. In other words, what evidence do you have that you that you can do this? And then Jesus answered and said to them, he didn't answer them directly. Notice uh, uh, to those that earnestly seek for the truth, God reveals himself. But for those that are not earnestly seeking truth, he hides himself. Amen. So. If, if you if you want God to reveal himself to you, then you have got to be a man of truth and you have got to love the truth. If you're not a person of truth and if you don't love the truth, God is going to hide himself from you. Amen. And so that's very important for us to know today. And Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple and building, and will you rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Now notice this. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Amen. They knew then that Jesus and God's word were one. Of course, we know that today. Amen. Jesus and his word are always one. 
Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So Jesus evidently was doing miracles that that are not recorded here. Only only the record that proves who he is. Amen. Now, verse 24 and 25, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Amen. So we see that in these two instances, you know, Jesus journeying to the temple, he's incensed at the corrupt behavior of the temple priesthood. And he takes authority. See, he has the authority. He has been given the authority as the son of man. And so when the, uh, you know, the priests and the scribes and and the Pharisees, uh, you know, they come to him and they demand of him. Actually, he says, what sign do you show unto us that you can do these things? You see, what made them incense is because only the Messiah could do things like that. Only the one who has the authority. Greater authority than the high priest, greater authority than Caiaphas, greater authority than Annas, greater authority than the temple priests can do these things. And Jesus did them. And of course, Jesus didn't answer him directly. He didn't say it's because I'm the Messiah. He said this. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. This is the clearest evidence that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Amen. He is the word of God made flesh. Praise God. Amen. Now, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, and many believed in his name when they saw the miracles he did. You get the indication that that John is speaking of the Galileans. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But notice the last two verses again. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. In other words, Jesus is not a politician. He's not garnering, trying to garner favor with people so that they'll support him. He's not trying to build, amen, any kind of an earthly empire. Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. And then John records, and he he did not need that any should, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Amen. So, Jesus came for one purpose and one person purpose only, and that is to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen. Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. He said this. He said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has the temple of God with idols? Amen. So Jesus is not going to he's not a politician. He's not politicking. He's not trying to garner favor. He's there to do one thing. That's to glorify God as father. And to become the savior of the world. Praise God. Amen. And so Jesus said that his temple, the temple of his body would be destroyed upon the cross. But then he would be raised from death three days later. And of course, the disciples, they didn't have any idea what he was talking about. When Jesus said this, they had no clue. When Jesus said, amen, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. They didn't have absolutely no idea what he was talking about. They didn't understand until after his resurrection. They remembered that saying and they believed. Praise God. All right. Now we're going to get into John chapter three. This is uh, Jesus in his interview with Nicodemus. Now, it's interesting to know that the uh, his name, Nicodemus, comes from Nico, which means victory and Demas, which means people. 
So it could be victory of the people or victory for the people or victory over the people. Now, tradition tells us that that Nicodemus was the third wealthiest man in Jerusalem at that time. So uh, he would have kept himself separate. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He wouldn't mix with the regular people. So you kind of get the idea that perhaps his name meant victory over the people or victory apart from the people, something of that nature. Amen. And of course, uh, Nicodemus was one of those in the Sanhedrin that secretly believed in Jesus, but because he feared the Jews, he feared his position. He feared the fact that he was uh, that he would have been kicked out of the Sanhedrin, that he would have lost all his wealth, that he was not willing to make that jump while Jesus was alive. But Jesus was present at his death. Amen. He was one of the ones that went to uh, to anoint the body of Jesus for his burial. And also that uh, records do do show that Nicodemus lost his wealth and became very, very poor. And I think that he he made finally made that decision, stepped over the line and accepted Christ as the Messiah. And of course, in this life, he paid for it. Which leads us to the question for believing in Jesus, would you rather pay for that in this life or pay for it or be rewarded in the life to come? Amen. See, we live in a wonderful country, United States of America. We can be rewarded in this life for following Jesus and also be rewarded in the life to come. That's not the same in many believers throughout the world. Many of them pay. It costs them everything to follow Jesus. And they will have great reward in the world to come. And I think that's what Jesus said, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Those who have given everything at all to follow Jesus and have suffered for that and have even given their life, I think they should be honored first. Don't you? Praise God. Amen. All right. So beginning in John uh, chapter three, and verse one, we'll probably have to come back to this in our next session, but we'll start here. There is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi or teacher, we know, we know, notice that, we know. Maybe others had encouraged Nicodemus to go speak, <coughs> to go speak to Jesus. <coughs> Maybe there were others of the rabbis that were thinking that this may be the Messiah. We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Notice Nicodemus said, we know. Amen. So there's others that are also perceiving and thinking in their heart, maybe thinking in their mind. This may be the man that we're that we're looking for. And notice that Nicodemus calls Jesus a teacher come from God. But now he didn't call him the Messiah, did he? And he didn't even call him a prophet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is not playing semantics. He's not trying to court or win favor. He, he goes directly to Nicodemus' need, and that need is you must be born again. And that means you've got to be saved. And so we know that salvation today, it's not based upon confirmation. It's not based on church membership. It's not based on water baptism or the sacraments. It's not being religious or intellectually receiving Jesus or going to church. 
It's not even praying or reading a Bible. It's not being a morally good person. It's not doing good deeds. It's not looking out for your neighbor, helping, you know, an elderly lady across the street. These are all good works, but they're not proof that you and I are born again. And so trying to be a good person does not mean one is saved. And all these things that I have described, Nicodemus would have possessed all of these qualities. If he were alive today, he'd be a very religious person. But Jesus told him, you had to be born again. Now, in contrast, think about the thief on the cross. He didn't possess any of these qualities. But he had a simple faith. Lord, when you come and remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he was remembered. Jesus said to him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You see, and the thief did the absolute necessary thing to be saved. He believed, praise God. So salvation is based upon faith in Christ. It's not based upon anything else. Amen. And see, this is the first fact of being born again. The sinner must take the initial step of faith to repent. That comes through the preaching of the gospel. Now, verse 4. Now, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what did, that, what did Jesus mean? A man must be born of water and the Spirit. Well, he's got to be first born naturally. A person who has not been born cannot be saved. And when that person is born, he's born into sin. That's something the Jews did not believe. And we'll, we'll, we'll notice that a little while as we get into this study. Jews do not believe in original sin. They believe all they have to do is be circumcised to be part of the family of Abraham. Jesus says, no, you've got to be born of water, which means you naturally have to be born into this world. But then you have to be born again spiritually. You have to be born of the spirit. You must be born of the flesh, but you also must be born of the spirit. And then he says in verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he says, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. In other words, don't be surprised when I tell you that. Amen. Praise God. So being born again is being a twice born man, born once naturally and then born again spiritually. And then Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 8. He says, the wind blows where it lists and you hear the sound of it. But you cannot tell when it, where it came from and where it goes. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. This is something that's done invisibly. This is something that is done in the heart of the individual. And the only way we know that is by what comes out of the person's mouth. That's called public confession. People that say that they believe in Jesus, but they've never confessed him publicly before men, either by a, a mouth confession with their mouth confessing that Jesus is Lord or through the public demonstration of water baptism. They need to do that. And I don't think a person is born again unless he does that. I mean, if somebody sticks you with a knife, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to yell. Or if somebody hits you, you're going to yell. <laughs> Hallelujah. And when God touches your heart, you're going to say it. You're going to say something. 
So the wind can't be seen with the physical eyes, but now the work of it can be seen. Amen. I went out my backyard after a storm last night and I see all of these branches laying on the ground. Amen. Ah, uh, I heard the sound of it. I didn't see the wind, but I heard the sound of it and I see the effects of it. That's the way it is being born again. Praise God. So the effects of the wind can be seen and felt. Well, the new birth, its effects can be seen and can be felt, but it's on the outside. It's experienced on the inside and the effects of it are seen on the outside. So the new birth takes place in the heart. It takes place in the spirit of the believer. And how do we know that we're born again? Now we have the peace of God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We hold up our hands of surrender. We're tired of rebelling and fighting against God. We accept his lordship. Amen. And as a token of that, we receive the peace of God. Amen. And in receiving Jesus Christ, then we're adopted into the family of God. Praise God. And so what the new birth does, it makes bad people good. Now, was Nicodemus a bad person? Well, morally on the outside, no. But on the inside, yes. He was like so many white sepulchers. He was white and clean on the outside, but inside he was filled with dead man's bones. He had to be born again. So the new birth takes bad people and he makes them good people. He takes weak people, he makes them strong. And bitter people, he makes them sweet. Praise God. And so verse 9 tells us that Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? How, would he, how come he doesn't know these things? Well, he's a natural man. Did you understand the new birth before you got saved? Absolutely not. All I know is what happened to me. One moment I was blind and the next moment I could see. <laughs> Just like that man in, uh, in John chapter 9. All I know is once I was blind, now I see. And see, this is the second fact of being born again. Amen. And the spirit, it doesn't depend upon good deeds that we do, but it's based solely upon God's mercy and his love for us. Hallelujah. Amen. So now verse 10, and Jesus answered and said unto him, are you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? See, he's marveling. It never dawned upon Nicodemus, never dawned upon all the time, all the hours, the thousands of hours he studied the scriptures and this never dawned upon him. And then Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak. Talking about his disciples now, he and his disciples and the heavenly father. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? See, earthly things, heavenly things, earthly things, things that you see, touch, feel, taste, smell, heavenly things, things that cannot be detected, detected by the physical senses. They have to be revealed to the heart. Amen. How do you know you're born again? You've got the witness on the inside of you that you have received Jesus. There is an assurance that takes place in our heart. That's how we know, amen, that we are the children of God. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the right and the privilege to become the sons of God, even to them that call upon his name. 
Did you ever call upon the name of the Lord when you were when you were uh, a sinner? No, if if you if you did like me, if you did, it was because you were in a situation you didn't know how to get out of. And so finally you just reached up. God help me. And like me, I'm sure I'm just exactly like you. Amen. God did help you. But see, we don't call upon God. But now after we're saved, yes, we do. Praise God. It's just become supernaturally natural to call upon the Savior. Praise God. So being born again is being born from above. It's a heavenly birth. See, and this is why Christians are called the children of God. Amen. All right. We got to read one more verse and then we'll have to stop here and we'll pick up in the same place next time. Now, notice, and no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. So Jesus is saying here that nobody can ascend into heaven based upon his own works. Nothing we do can inherit heaven. Going to heaven. Amen. What qualifies us to go to heaven is being born again. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, are you born again? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you have the assurance in your heart that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? I hope you do. And if you don't and you want to, all you got to do is just bow your head and just pray a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I surrender my heart and life to you. I repent of sin and ask you to come in now into my heart and life. I acknowledge you now and I ask you, Lord, be my Lord, be my Savior. In Jesus' name, I receive you now. Amen. Praise God. That's all you have to do. Father, I'm so thankful today that you are in the business of saving souls. And I so thank you, Father, that you have saved us. Now, Lord, you've given us a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's what we do because we love you and we want to glorify your name. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.